What does God do? In the last few episodes of Thinking Theology, we've been thinking about what God is like, what is his nature, what is his character, and what he does. Last time we looked at God's work in creation, but God not only created the world, he also sustains it, upholding it at every moment. In theology, that's called providence. But what does it mean that God is upholding the world? What does he control? Is there anything outside his control? That's what we're thinking about in this episode of Thinking Theology. Hi, my name's Carl Denick. I write about theology and I teach it at Sydney Missionary and Bible College. Welcome to Thinking Theology, a podcast where we think about theology, the Bible, and the Christian life, not just for the sake of it, but so we can love God more with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So what do we learn from the Bible about God's control over the world? First of all, we see that he controls everything. For example, Psalm 103 verse 19 tells us, The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. God rules over all things and there's nothing outside his control. Nothing frustrates his plans. Nothing thwarts them. He says in Isaiah 46 verse 11, What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. Moreover, when God acts to control all things, he does it according to his own purpose and will. For example, Psalm 135 verse 6 says, The Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and all their depths. Or again, in Ephesians 1 verse 11, we're told that God works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. God is not constrained by things outside him. He rules over everything and he does as he pleases. That's what it means to be God. But we can say more too about the kind of control that God exercises. That is to say, we can drill down to specific areas to understand more clearly what it means that God controls everything. John Frame, in his Systematic Theology, lists a number of categories in which we see God working out his control over all things. For example, we see how God controls the natural world. Psalm 65 says, You care for the land and water it, you enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain, for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. In fact, even the things that we think are pure chance, the Bible tells us, are from God. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap but its every decision is from the Lord. A lot is like a roll of the dice. To us, it's chance. To God, it's an expression of his purpose and will. So too, God is in control of human affairs. Job says, He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and disperses them. God raises up nations and he brings them down. He makes them prosper or fail. He uses them to achieve his purposes. In Acts 17, it says, From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. 
It's not human governments or presidents or kings who determine the success of their empires. Rather, behind all those things stands God. But God not only controls the big movements of nations and states and countries, he is also sovereign over our individual lives. So David can say in Psalm 139, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God has planned our days before they even happen. So too he works all things that happen for good in the lives of his people. Paul tells us in Romans 8, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And Proverbs 16 verse 9 tells us that while we might make our plans, it's God who establishes them or not. Proverbs says, In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. In fact, God's control over our lives means that we ought to hold onto our plans with a degree of reservation. As James says, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. We can't control what happens today or tomorrow. That belongs to God, James says. That doesn't mean we shouldn't plan. Rather, we plan knowing that all things are in God's hands. But God is not only in control of our individual lives, he is also in some sense sovereign over human decisions. We may find that idea a little confronting and a little difficult to understand, but the Bible clearly shows it's true. For example, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. He says to Moses in Exodus 7 verse 3, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Conversely, God opens the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to let his people, God's people, come back from exile. Ezra 1 verse 1 tells us, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. Similarly, about Jesus' crucifixion, we're told in Acts chapter 4 verse 27, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. That is to say, somehow God stood behind their decision to crucify Jesus. But how can God control human decisions without human beings becoming robots? We'll come back to that question next time when we think about the relationship between God's sovereignty and control and our responsibility. For the moment, we just need to notice that the Bible clearly portrays God as sovereign over human decisions in some sense. Even harder to understand, though, but just as clear, is the idea that God is sovereign even over sin. We've seen that already in God hardening Pharaoh's heart in Exodus and also in God being sovereign over the decisions and actions of those who crucified Jesus. But we see the same thing in other places as well. So Psalm 105 verse 24 and 25 says, The Lord made his people very fruitful. He made them too numerous for their foes, whose hearts he turned to hate his people, to conspire against his servants. 
In some way, God turned the hearts of his enemies to hate his people, says Psalm 105. Similarly, in 2 Samuel 24, God incites David to do something that is ultimately a sin, that is, to count his fighting men. 2 Samuel 24 verse 1 says, Again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, Go and take a census of Israel and Judah. Again, we'll come back to how we can understand that in the next episode. But for the moment, again, we just need to realize that in some sense, the Bible tells us that God is sovereign even over sin. Finally, as we'll explore more in future episodes, God is also sovereign over salvation. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Paul's point is that salvation is in accordance with God's pleasure and will. Or 2 Timothy 1 verse 9, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. In both cases, God has saved those particular people solely on the basis of his pleasure and will. God is in control of everything. He's in control of the natural world, human events, individual life, human decisions, including faith and salvation. He's even sovereign in some way over sin and evil. That biblical view of God is quite different to the view that we sometimes have of God. Sometimes we think of God as only intervening in the world at particular points. That's a little bit like what is often called a deistic view of God. In that view, God is like a watchmaker who creates the world, winds it up, and then lets it run, but he's not really involved in the day-to-day running of the world. But the biblical view of God is that he is intervening at every moment. If God wasn't involved in the world at every moment, it wouldn't keep going. And while we might find some aspects of God's control hard to understand, at the end of the day, it's actually a great encouragement because it assures us that God is in control of everything that is happening in the world and everything that is happening in our lives. It means we don't have to live lives of eternal vigilance because God is in control. It's not up to me or you to make sure there's no World War III or that the government does what it should. Yes, we have a responsibility to live godly and faithful lives, but it's not up to us to control the world. That's God's job, and he's doing a much better job than we ever could. Well, that's it for this episode of Thinking Theology. As I said, in the next episode, we'll be trying to make some sense of how God's sovereignty and control fits with our responsibility and our actions. Please join me then. 